Well, I'm Drew Smith, an elder here at Green Tree. It's a real joy for me to share this morning's message. And you know, I have a, a special place in my heart for the pastors here at Green Tree. And, and I gotta love Anton. I'm gonna give the guy 20 extra cool points for that captivating South African accent of his. I, I mean, you know, last week, I just loved listening to that. I couldn't tell you what he talked about, but I loved his accent. No, honestly, it was on prayer. I do remember that. And if you know me, you know that I love missions. I love talking about missions. And when I heard the opportunity for the elders to speak this summer, I ran to Anton. I said, Anton, I'd love to talk about this great mission work that's going on in North St. Louis. And it rattled on. He stopped me and said, Drew, that's, that's a great idea. That sounds like uh, stewardship. I'll sign you up for stewardship. So he gets to keep my 20 cool points. I'm going to throw him another 50 for being faster on his feet than me and somehow changing the topic from missions to stewardship. So let's, let's talk about stewardship. This is the visual of Green Tree Church's mission, and the seven pillars represent the key focus areas for you. For us, I'm going to talk about stewardship, but I want to focus on these words right here, to serve him in joyful obedience. I, I have to confess, as a young Christian, I didn't get the connection. Uh, you know, I, I viewed stewardship as giving money to the church, and, and I frankly just didn't connect with how there's joy in that. So what I'd like to talk about is that connection between our Christian stewardship and joy. You know, we've all heard great sermons on the three T's, time, talent, and treasure, and how it is the sound scriptural basis for the stewardship of our Christian gifts. But again, I, I was a little slow. I didn't quite get it. So I would like to start with a, a premise that King David made in 1 Chronicles 29. Here's the backstory. David is near the end of his life. His son Solomon is going to take his kingship. David has taken most of his immense wealth and given it to God to build the temple. The Israelites all contributed to give to the temple. They were rejoicing. They were together for a huge celebration. David quiets the crowd and he addresses God. And he says, to you, O God, belong the greatness and the glory. And then further down, everything in heaven is yours. And then on the next slide, I love what he says here. He goes, I think David gets it. He goes, who am I? And who are these people to suggest, God, that we can give you anything? I mean, here's the scam. You give us everything. We take a little bit and give it back to you. His premise is that all that we receive in life really come from God in the first place. All of those time, all of our time and our talent and our treasures that we love to take credit for are gift of God to begin with. Now, our human nature tends to want to claim credit for that as opposed to giving credit to God. And I think if we take a look in the book of Malachi, God reinforces that and adds a challenge to it. Now, here's the backstory on Malachi. Now, Malachi, it's a safe bet. If you want, if you want to sound like a biblical expert, have somebody throw out a, an Old Testament book name and say, oh, yeah, that's about when the Israelites strayed from God and God pulled them back. So that's what Malachi is about. Constantly throughout the Old Testament, that's the theme. So in this case, he, he comes to him and says, look, I'm the Lord, and I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing here. You can see the real words. I'm the Lord, and I should have scorched you guys. You just don't get it. But I made a promise to your ancestors, so you're still here. And then he goes on to plead with them. He says, return to me, and I'll return to you. And the next slide. He gets right in their face, and he says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. 
And then the people, kind of like the little kid with chocolate over his face, and the mom says, who's been in the chocolate? Goes, what, what, me? And the response is, when did we cheat you? And he says, you have denied me the tithes and offerings. Now, two things come to my mind uh, uh, in the Old Testament setting about tithes. One is, you could not have a direct relationship with God before Jesus came to this earth. You had to approach God through the priesthood. The priesthood was made up of the tribe of Levi. They were, they were consecrated to the Lord. Their sustenance was provided by the tithing of the rest of Israel. If Israel didn't tithe, guess what? The priesthood falls apart. Their linkage to God falls apart. So God challenges them, and he's, he really sends a message to them. Guys, hey, it's not about the money. In fact, here's his challenge. Bring me the tithe. Come on, bring it all. You bring it all, and I will overwhelm you with blessings so much that you can't even fill your, I mean, you won't have enough storehouse to store it all. What's the message? God is not here to extract from us. He's here to multiply us. So I talked earlier about joy in this whole thing. Where's, where's the joy in all that? Well, here, here's another way to think about it. We're going to lead up to that. If you think about the ships of old, the sailing ships, when they only had a compass to navigate by, if they only looked at that compass 10% of the time, what would happen? Then they'd wander way off course. Then they'd spend precious resources trying to, trying to retack to the right course. They'd wander off again. They'd never make their destination. In the same way, God is calling out to us to set our internal compass to his true magnetic north. And he's telling us, you need to pay attention to that 100% of the time. It's incomprehensible, though, to the world. You know, that, that's really giving yourself over to God. The world can't comprehend that. But we comprehend it, and when you experience it, you realize that's the source of real joy. In fact, it becomes second nature to us, a very natural thing. And it's an extension of life's higher calling to lift up others. And it's our opportunity to be directly engaged in God's kingdom right here on this earth. So stewardship is not just about what you're giving, but more importantly, how you're living. Okay, I, I still haven't gotten to the joy part because there's a little dynamic tension that tends to be in the way. You know, when, when we hold it closely to ourselves, it's almost like all of that we have is a fixed pie of, of, of a fixed shape. And any time we give something of that, we cut out a slice and the pie shrinks. God's premise, on the other hand, is lay it all before me, all of it, and I will multiply it. Okay, still haven't gotten to the joy. Um, if we want to experience that joy, here's, here's the premise I'm going to put forward to you, that our first stewardship responsibility is not to our finances, and I'm not trivializing that, but our first stewardship responsibility is how we steward our relationships. And there's really a, a divine order of things. God, others, and self. We're third. 
And it's in that order. It, if it applies to our friendships, to our marriages, to our families. And if we want to experience that joy in stewardship, we have to acknowledge that order of things, God, or order of things, God, others, and self. Let's look at stewarding that relationship with God. I think Paul does the best job of navigating that for us. In Romans chapter 12, how many here are really searching for God's will in their life? Good, two hands. Oh, <laughs> the whole church, that's more like, me too, I got mine up. You know, as a newly committed Christian, I, I probably spent 10 years really searching for where's my place in God's kingdom. And I wish I'd understood what Paul was trying to tell us here in Romans 12 in the first year of that effort. I could have shaved a lot of, a lot of years off that trek. Let me kind of summarize what he's saying. You can read the words. But he says, Dear brothers, give your bodies as a sacrifice to God, as an act of worship. Then he goes on to say, uh, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you. In the next slide. And then he goes on to offer a little counsel. He basically says, don't think too highly of yourself. Humble yourself. And then he, then he gives the illustration we all know, that the body of Christ is like the human body. It has many parts. All of them are important, but no one is more important than the other. And it applies to the body of Christ as well. And he says, take your gifts humbly and, and invest them in the body of Christ. There's a sequence here. Let's go over that. The first item, give yourself to God. Not a foot, not 10% of your thinking, but 100% of yourself. Navigate yourself 100% of the time, pointed toward God. The second, stop conforming to this world. Extract yourself from anything in this world that is keeping you from being the man or woman of God that you were meant to be. The third item, transform your mind and thinking. Focus on what's really important in life. And the fourth item, then... This is the big then. This is what I wish I got. I didn't spend 10 years trying to figure out. Then you can determine God's will in your life. So it's about aligning ourselves first, and then we can complete that search of what, our, what God's will is for us. And then, then he counsels us, be humble about it. And then, last item, bring your gifts to the body of Christ so he can do a great work in your life. And when does the giving start? That kind of struck me as I put this together. With number six, you've got to align yourself first with God. Then you can bring your gifts effectively. Now, I'm not discounting applying yourself in any way you can as you're searching for God's will in your life and continue to do that. But if you really want to resonate in that, you want to first identify what God's will for you, for your life is. Okay, so... That's how we steward our relationship with God. Now, how do we steward our relationship with others? I think Jesus, hands down, does the best job of making that really clear in John chapter 15. And I love this short passage. Here's the backstory: Jesus is on his last few days on this planet. And I, I got to believe he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to simplify it. He's trying to focus these disciples of his down to the essentials. He wants to make sure they get it because, guys, I'm not going to be with you any longer. And they don't quite understand that. They kind of just picture him wanting to take their faces and hold them in his hands and intently connect their eyes and say, guys, this is the important thing. Listen to me. And he says it. He 
says, I've loved you the way the Father has loved me. My love is yours. Take it. If you follow my commands, you're going to get it. Just as I've done with my Father. And then, look, here's where the joy comes in. You've been holding your breath until I pointed out where the joy comes in. Here it is. He says, look, I've told you these things for a purpose, that joy, my joy might be your joy if we obey his commands. So back to Jesus, holding the face of his disciples. This is the important thing. Intently, eyes fixed together. Now, you got to tithe. Now, that's 10%. That's pre-tax, not after-tax. No. His message is, love one another as I have loved you. Steward those relationships with each other in this way. That's how we can best steward our gifts. How about self? Well, I think self, how do you steward yourself in this context? God, others, self. I think we've talked about it. One, Find God's will in your life. Two, be a giver, not a taker. My favorite proverb is Proverbs 19.17. Anyone who's been on a Homes of Hope trip me has, has heard it 18,000 times. It says, he who gives to the poor, or anyone else for that matter, lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him full. A, a quick example of that, if we could have that picture of that mother receiving that home in Mexico... Again, on the Homes of Hope trip, one of the early trips I led, we had a 12-year-old girl with us, and afterwards she said, you know, I was told we were going to go to Mexico and build this home for this Mexican family who had nothing and not get paid for it. But when I, sorry, I lose it when I talk about it. When I see the look on that, I saw the look on that mother's face when we handed her the keys, I felt like I was paid in full. Now, how did that affect me, Drew? Well, i got to tell you, whatever it cost me in time and talent and treasure to stand on that piece of earth at that moment in time and hear that 12-year-old girl say that was inconsequential compared to the payment I received. You know, there's a, a person I learned a lot about missions from early on taught me. He said, you know, when you write a check, something is withdrawn from your account, it's gone forever. When you give of yourself, something is deposited inside. The old saying is true. You can only keep what you give away. You want the joy? You've got to give it away. And guys, that's my sermon. Now, you can't run off to lunch early because I'm not quite done yet, but I did want to point out that with today's sermon comes my unconditional guarantee. If you didn't like it, I'll come to your home and give it to you again. <laughs> and... Because you came today, we've thrown in an extra bonus. If you open your bulletin, you can see Drew's handy guide to measuring my stewardship success. And today only, it's a double bonus. You can take two bulletins if you want. And you can tear out the handy guide. You can stick one on your bathroom mirror and one on your refrigerator. Or you can fold it up, stick it in your shirt pocket, and it looks sharper than a Sears pocket protector. Take a look at it real quick. Again, the whole idea here is, are you not feeling the joy? If you're not feeling the joy, here's just a few pointers to think about. How about your relationship? Are you serving him or you? How about your relationship with God? Are you laying it all out for him or are you keeping it close to yourself? How about how you're stewarding your relationship with others? Are you truly loving them as Christ loved you? And how, about, how are you stewarding yourself? 
Have you found God's will in your life? And there's a few more in there that are just excellently written. I, I, you know, I just can't thank enough of myself for having written that. And God, that's the end of my sermon. So now comes the part that I like to call Drew's Shameless Promotion of Mission. And in order to, to do that, I'd like to bring my friend Tom Maxwell up here. And, and honestly, I want to share with you a real joy of mine, which is something that Tom and I are involved in in North City. And as Tom talks to us here today, think about what we've just talked about in terms of stewarding our relationships and see what we learn from Tom in the process. Uh, our work in the North City is based on the fact that that community is desperately poor and, and, and uh, in many cases uh, there are men of God who want to stand up as men of God in their community and are well discipled by their church, but they don't... And, and, that's one of two legs that I, I call are necessary to stand up on your two feet. The other is economic opportunity, which they don't have. So what we're trying to do is provide in a Christian context the econ economic opportunity for those men who have made a commitment to be a man of God. And that process is about helping them understand job skills. We've started a business that actually provides property management and uh, like carpentry and that sort of thing so they can be directly employed. And then we help them launch into employment with the intent that they can stand up as a real man of God in their community. Tom is unique in that he not only is a client, but he is also one of the leaders of our program. And Tom, I'd like you to tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first of all, I'll be 60 years old this, this uh, year. And I spent 18 years in prison. All of my 20s were spent in prison. So really, part of your teens... Yes. All your 20s All and a chunk 20s. of your 30s. Exactly. Gone. Exactly. And I, like I said, that 18 years, I got out. I was uh, hooked on heroin and alcohol. I stayed in, in prison, you got hooked prison. on heroin. Yeah, that's that much drugs there. And, and I should point out to the crowd, heroin is one of the most addicted drugs out there. Only about 10% of heroin addicts ever recover. Right. There you go. Very hard. It's a physical thing. It's and, uh, well, I stayed uh, hooked for about five years after I got out. Uh, I went to a couple of rehabs because I was sick and tired of that type of life. And once I did get off the drugs and the alcohol, I turned to selling uh, crack cocaine. So crack and cool, I sold it for about 10 years. About the seventh year, I started feeling really bad about doing that. And I was hooked. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just break away from it like that. So I s tried to stop selling to pregnant women. I stopped selling to my family. Eventually stopped selling to, to women all together, you know. I was uh, just watching people come and buy drugs for me, and uh, they seemed like zombies, you know. Just a, seemed like a whole community was turning from, from uh, upright people, trying to be upright people, to just zombies. And I, and I felt bad about that. I and realized and you, that. You described it as a genocide. Yeah, I realized community. the genocide that I was committing on me, not only me, but all the rest of the drug sellers, you know. So I started praying to God, you know. Well, I, I went to church, started going to church. Started praying to God to take this away from me, you know. Take this, take this, uh, it's, it's just it's greed for money. It's fast money. Just take it away from me. Uh, it didn't happen right off. But eventually, I was busted for uh, drugs and um, possession of weapons. Now, as a felon, yeah. that's a big deal. That's a real big that deal. That probably means you're going to prison for life. I can get 10 years for just one bullet that was in one of the guns. And uh, being a felon, well, my first uh, conviction was a robbery. I received 25 years. 
to go back the second time, they weren't going to give me no less than 25 years. So, you know, that would have been the rest of my life, you know, 30 or 40 years. So I kept praying. I kept praying. God takes this away from me, you know. But I got busted. I was in jail praying that what we call a famous prayer. I said, God, if you just get me out of this, I <laughs> swear I won't do it no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but it was something deep in me. It wasn't like the other prayers. Uh, this had more to do with what I was doing when I was out there was wrong, being a part of the problem instead of the solution. Uh -huh. So I kept praying, I kept praying. Just, just, just all of a sudden, a calmness came over me one night, you know, like it's going to be all right. Instead of praying to get out, I just prayed, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Two days later, I got noticed I was being released. That you're being released. I was being released of all those charges. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the arresting officer had added some more charges to what he actually found. Come to find out, he was under investigation by the feds for selling drugs to sell. He was taking drugs from one drug dealer and giving it to the next. And if they didn't sell it, he would lock them up. So I thought to myself, hmm. so, so God picked the right cop That's to what arrest. I see. That's what I see. <laughs> I've seen a little light, you know. Yeah. So as I got out of, I, I, I got out of uh, jail, I was so blessed, man. I just ran to church, you know, and all the things that I had been learning while I was selling drugs and going to church, it just, you know, fell right in place. You know, I know there were things that God wanted me to do, and I began to go there. I began to do that. That's great, Tom. Uh, how did you move from a focus on yourself to a focus on others? Well, during the time that I was selling drugs, I found out afterwards that I had made three children while I was out there. I had one child, my oldest, Yante, I knew about him. But the other three came about four or five years after I stopped selling drugs, got out of jail. So I, I wanted to be a part of their life. I started going and visiting. I got two girls by the same mother. I started visiting them, and I didn't like where they were living. They were living with what the mother was homeless. She was staying with her grandmother, and the grandmother was a drug seller. And not only was drug selling going on, liquor was going on. It was a 24-7 uh, open door where you can come and buy drugs. A lot of times, the, the people didn't know where they was going to use drugs at, so they would go in the bathroom and have to pass through my kids' room to use their drugs. And they had uh, drinking, cussing, gambling. It was just an unfit environment. So I petitioned the guy to get, the, get them away from there. That was my first petition. My next petition was the courts. Uh, Jubilee Church that I joined, they helped me, you know, find a good lawyer and, you know, a few funds. And I got physical custody of my daughter, and I got legal custody of my son, Case. I just went to the gym. Give us a wave, Case. Where are you, buddy? Uh, well, yeah, right yeah, there, yeah. yeah. I'm doing my hair like that, by the way. I yeah. love that. So I've been having Case in my legal cousins. He was two years old, and and my son, Deontay, stayed right around the corner. So at the time when I had the girls, everybody was a you know, happy family. Yeah. And uh, from that, uh, I just started, you know, being a part of their life, uh, you know, and learning how to pay the bills and just, just focusing more on them than myself. The material things that I had while I was out there selling drugs didn't mean anything to me anymore. I let all the houses go, the cars, and just uh -huh. focus on my kids, and, and it feel good. So tell us more about how you're stewarding your family. Well, I'm looking, uh, I'm listening to my kids. I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm, I'm helping them out with their emotional problems and the issues that they're having. And uh, you might remember 
when I, me and you were working together, and mm-hmm. uh, I was called to the school for uh, uh, my son's school by the principal. He said I had to come and get him because Deontay was fighting. He was expelled. So I went and got him. And on the way back, I thought, well, I'm not going to try to find nobody to keep him, you know, take away from my time at work. So I brought him on to work with me. On the way back, I was telling him, you know, you can't be fighting like that. You know, that's part of the reason why I went to jail, because I didn't pay attention to the rules and regulations. You know, mm-hmm. I tried to fight my way through things. And, you know, explain to him that's why the principals and the teachers were there. You know, the problem comes up, you can't handle Don't fight. Tell the principal or the teacher. So he cried a little bit, but I could tell he understood. And I brought him on back, introduced him and you. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that? Do you remember what I you asked I him? remember that. Right, Deontay, right, I right, right, remember right. the day you came in, and, and I said, Deontay, why, why were you kicked out? Right. And, and I remember the little lip quiver, and he said, because right. I was fighting, and right. my daddy says, fighting is not a way to solve right. it. Right, right, right. And I remember how proud that made me of you, Tom. Yeah. You, have to, you have to understand that when a, a kid in, those, in, in that part of our community is in trouble, there's not a father there to show up. And here a father showed up. So, Tom, uh, how has serving God brought you joy? Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. He brought me so much joy. But I'm reminded often when kids say it's across the street from me, uh, I like to cook nowadays. And there's a lot of kids on my block know that, right? So, uh, a lot of kids kind of hang around the house when it comes to eating time, you know, around uh-huh. the evening. Yeah. yeah. But this particular kid across the street, he makes it his business to be there, you know, every <laughs> every night. You know. <laughs> so he's a good kid, good kid. He stays in the family with uh, I think it's uh, four or five brothers, you know, younger uh-huh. brothers and sister, and uh, just a mother, single parent. So, at the table before we eat, you know, we do a little talking, but before we eat, we got to say our grace. And he wasn't familiar with that, you know, and he, he, he started liking to do this. So I would have to, you know, tell him, no, you can't pray all the time. You know, let somebody else do it. But, you know, but he just started, you know, fell into that. So, you know, a little while later, you know, I seen his mother. She called me across the street. Girl, Tom, I don't know what you're doing to my son. And I didn't know what she was talking about, you know. I thought I was keeping him dinner too long or, you know, coming home later. But she said, uh, I said, what do you mean? She said, you got him uh, telling everybody in the house that they can't eat no food until they say their grace, you know? <laughs> and you asked me about joy. The joy that I got from that was the, the feeling that I felt that not only does he learn how to pray and eat at the table, everybody eating at the same time, but he's passing it on to his family, you know? Everybody's eating at the table and I'm praying and, getting, you know, thanking God for their food. And that's a joy that, you know, can't be told in words, you know? That's phenomenal, Tom. Yeah. And, and I should break for a moment here and just explain that in our program with our clients, we only care about four measures. One, are you doing the right thing for yourself spiritually? Two, are you doing the right thing for your family, including any kids that you fathered? Three, are you doing the right thing for your church? Are you moving from a taker to a giver? And four, are you doing the right thing for your community? Are you standing up as a man of God? And frankly, our feeling is, give us five men of God like Tom, and we can transform a community. Now, Jesus took 12. We just want five. Mm, yeah. Five <laughs> men of God, and we can right. transform a community. You can see the impact he can have in his own community. Right. So, Tom, yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of, of what you're doing there. Thank you. Tell us how you are a steward of your relationships. 
Stuart Moderation Shack. Uh, well, you know, you learn a lot of bad habits about in prison. You know, coming up for uh, all of my young years, it, you know, it affected me quite a bit. So in prison, you learn to look at the negative in people and go from there. But out here, getting involved in church and getting that good head start, I, I learned that you look at the positive and go from there. And it makes a, a, a better relationship all the way around. That's great. Um, how are you stewarding your skills and your talents? Stewarding my skills and talents. Well, talents are very much needed. What I would like to do, you know that the latter is the symbol of the, of the life program, life bridges program. And the latter is extended into the bottomless pit. The pit of poverty. Pit of so, poverty. So picture a pit. Right. The poor in it, stuck in that pit they can't get out of on their own. Right. We're extending a ladder into it. And what's your role, Tom? My role is to help them get out. Taking the talents that I got, that I learned from, from various people, and pulling somebody up, teaching them those habits, you know, those good, good, good working skills, and letting them, know, letting them know that you should take on to somebody else. Bring them up along with you. So if something should happen to me, Go on with the program. The program mm -hmm. just goes on and on. So as you grab one rung on the ladder, That's you're reaching right. behind yourself, helping the next guy grab one. He's helping the guy behind him. Next guy, yes. And it's okay. been working out so far. Good. How are you stewarding your finances differently now, Tom? Finances. Well, for the last few years, I've been saving my money. I got $25 coming out of my checking account every week to go into my savings account. I'm paying my tithes regularly. Uh, my credit score is up. I'm sorry, credit score is up. And I got a surprise for you. What's Just this? paid off my truck last week. Last week? Last week. And paid you know, that's in a full. Big deal. And, and in perspective, you have to understand that most people right. in this community are crushed by debt. Tom has freed himself from debt. Hallelujah. And, and I'm not just not living from day to day anymore, you know. I'm living with a purpose, and that's, that's a blessing. And that's so you're, a good you're standing on both feet. I'm standing on it. I'm standing on it. That's great. Right. If we could have that screen. You know, we talked about the six-step sequence that, that Paul mentioned. It, Tom, it sounds like you're really living it. You know, mm -hmm. turning to God and offering yourself. He saved you from prison. Yes. Uh, you stopped conforming to the world. You gave up bad relationships. Tell I us about to. bad relationships. Well, you learn through a drug program that you need to get away from people, place, and thing. Anything that's going to identify with bringing you back into that life of, of, of sin, you know. And sometimes it's even hard for me to do it because I go to go around my family, you know, and you know. Because uh, they could draw you back too. That could draw me back to it, you know. Just feeling those good feelings, you know, that that, that lifestyle. To get away from uh, drugs is one thing, but if you live in a lifestyle. Uh, 30 years of doing this, doing certain things one way, and that's, you know, that's, that's hard to break, you know, it's worse than cigarette habit or whatever, you know. So I got to, you know, choose the parties that I go to, choose the gatherings I go to, even it's over, over my mother's house, you know, I just got to gotta watch out for all of that. So you're giving up those things of this world that are keeping you from being a man of God. I have to. Great. You transformed your thinking about what's really important in life. And, exactly. and when you think about that, what's really important in your life? My kids. My kid, I had to think about them. Once you put them first, as you were saying now, you know, God, others, and yourself. My kids are the most important things to me. I, that, that's, that's a true blessing. 
you know, to be alive today. After all, I done been through it. To have some kids, to be able to father them, something I didn't get because my daddy wasn't there. That's great. And then you became a real man of God by humbling yourself. I had to. That's the only, it's only a new way Tom, to see. Yeah, yeah, only way. And then you brought your gifts to the body of Christ. Yes, I did. I you're, did. you're a leader in our LifeBridge program. You're a church leader. And what do they call you at church when you show up? <laughs> they call me the Pipe Piper because usually I have five or six kids behind me. and Your own and the kids in the neighborhood and whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. And when I don't come to church with the kids, I'm looked at there like I done committed the biggest sin. In, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're the kids, you know. Well, Tom, I, I'd be honored if you'd close us in prayer. Hey, I can do that. Would you please bow your heads? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thanking you so much for bringing us to a service. Thanking you for allowing us to hear the message. And Lord, open our hearts, open our minds that we will receive this message properly. Lord, teach us the proper way to give. Lord, continue to open our hearts where we can receive and learn how to receive and know that in order to continue to receive, we got to give, Lord. We got to let go to get it. Lord, we're so loving. You are so kind and so merciful. And we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you uh, would bring us home safely, watch over our kids, our family. And Lord, above all else, we ask that we would do the right thing in your eyesight. And we ask this prayer in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.